Hey, good morning, all of you. Glad you're here. And, uh, you know, as you noticed, if you were here last week, we still are missing a projector, so we're a one-screen church. And so all attention goes this way. I know some of you, that's really kinking your whole thing, you know. It's like <laughs> you don't know what to do. And uh, I can't tell you how many times I look at this screen. And so uh, you'll notice that throughout today. It's not because, you know, it's just habit, you know. We do that. But you know what? Uh, we had a power outage, and one of them went out, and we've carried these projectors all the way since the vet's hall. Uh, and so when we try to get them worked on, the people look at us like, you know, you really think you can work on dinosaurs like this? And we said, well, we'd like to, you know, we'd like to make them last longer if we can. And so that's where it's at. And it may just be a little bit before we get it back. So we're in this series called Life Apps. And the whole idea is this, is that we like apps in our culture today. And so we go to our, you know, whichever site it is, depending on whatever kind of device we have, and we can download apps. And the apps are designed to help us to make life easier, to get information uh, in some way, to be able to maybe shop or to be able to stay connected in some way, uh, to find our way. So we download these apps, and uh, they're great sources of information. So we just thought about that and thought, well, what's the greatest source of information available to us today? The Bible. Greatest source of wisdom available to us is the Bible. And so we're going to download some God apps. And so we're looking at that. And we've looked at several in this series. And last week we covered uh, the Heart app. And you know, just based upon the feedback I'm still getting from last week, uh, I just want to, if you weren't here, you might want to watch that, especially the 10 list, the 10 point checklist we did about our hearts. My community group, we, we just kind of went through that again this week and just looked at those and looked at the areas where we may struggle. So just invite you to do that. And today is the worship app. And so what we're going to do is, you know, we talk a lot about uh, worship and, uh, and as a church, and we've been really clear as a church to kind of define it, that worship is not singing. A lot of you think that worship is just singing. You know, I get the worship section, then we get the teaching section of the talk, that, you know, and then we get the giving section, but it's all worship. And then we really try to take it outside of what we do here and say, we, we try to say that worship is our life. It's all that we do. But what I want to do today is I want to narrow it back down to that 75-minute moment that we're together on a Sunday and talk about cor corporate worship. And we're going to download that app today and look at what God wants to say to us about getting together corporately. Now, when we do that, we come in here together, you know, we, um, we gather together, but we don't get much coaching in how we do it. You know, we're just told to go to church, right? So we start going to church and then they say, sing songs, we sing songs. But we don't get much coaching in the approach and how to do, you know, worship, how to engage so that we get the most out of it. Uh, in fact, if we were to be honest today, I think that some of us might say, if we're honest, uh, that uh, we come mainly out of habit. So we're kind of coming out of habit, or some of us come out of obligation. And so either obligation to someone else, and that they've asked us to come, and they continue to ask us to come, or some of us even feel ab obligation to God, that we've got to come just because we're ob you know, we're obligated to him for what he's doing to us or for us in life. Uh, some of us come for what we can get out of it. You know, we just say, you know, my life is desperate and I'm coming. And you know what? I, there's nothing wrong with that. Just coming because you know that God's going to speak to you and you're going to leave here encouraged and uh, that you're going to leave here inspired in some way. Uh, but some of us, when we get to this whole idea of corporate worship, if we're honest today and, and we're, you know, we weren't expecting much when we came in today. We're honest. Some of us, we're kind of treading water, you know, we're just kind of going along on the top and we're just hoping that uh, as we come to this experience uh, that something's going to happen 
that we are not expecting that's going to take us deeper or get us, give us an experience that we're longing about. We really, you know, we don't expect it anymore. We're just coming out of obligation or out of habit. And so what I want to do is I want to talk today about how we can raise that expectation level for when we're coming to corporate worship when we're together. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that uh, worship is, you know, as they say, we'll all worship something. We're all born to worship. And so if we don't worship the right thing, we'll just supplement, you know, other things that will come in and worship. But we have to learn how to do it. It's, you know, it's just not something that we do naturally. And I think this might be one of the, you know, downfalls in churches. We don't help people know how to do it. In many other areas of life, you have lessons on how to learn. Uh, my office is right over here, and it overlooks this uh, kind of parking lot right out here in the driveway around. And I work a lot on Saturdays, and I know that's a lot of days when, you know, families do things together. And so I'm sitting there on, sa- on Saturdays, and I'm working, and oftentimes I'll see a car come around, and it goes around the back here, and this g- gate over here is usually locked during the week. And so the car will go slowly, and then I'll see the cars come slowly back by and go around. And then the car will come slowly back around. And I'll kind of stop and observe, and what I'll see is, as I'm, I see a teenager at the wheel, <laughs> and a mom or a dad sitting next, too. You know, and so they're coming to church and thinking this is a safe place in our parking lot to teach their children how to drive. Do you remember what it was like when you learned how to drive? Yeah, do you remember what it was like when you learned how to drive that, you know, who, I don't know which one of your parents taught you or neither of your parents taught you how you learned how to drive, but I remember my dad taught me how to drive and he took me to the safest place in our community. I think it was the safest place in our community, but also he maybe wanted to teach me a lesson, so he took me to learn how to drive at the cemetery. (laughs) And so I think it was like a lesson there. If you don't learn this well, then this is where you're going to end up, okay? (laughs) Kind of that subliminal thing about that. But it was also safe to do that. But you know, you just remember that when you're learning how to drive and you, you grip the wheels so tightly and it's like every little thing, you're just like, uh, you're overcorrecting and you go along this. Well, I grew up in the sticks of Oklahoma and back there they have two lane roads and the main two lane road that we have back there once I graduated to the highway is a main uh, transport highway for semis. And so, and there's lots of cattle and pigs and all kinds of things you raise, but it's just a main transport highway as well. And so you got this narrow two-lane highway, and you have these semis just woo, woo, woo at you, and you're going along, and you're learning how to draw, oh, Lord, help me. As a semi goes by, and you're just hoping that you don't do something that's going to cause you to be sucked right into that thing as it comes by. But then what happens over time is you just kind of relax. You just kind of relax, you know, and you just kind of, you're driving along and, you know, you're not really thinking anymore about what you're doing. That's probably, you know, not a good thing. And, and, but you'll relax and it, it, you're able to do it more naturally. Well, I think that that's what God wants us to do in the area of worship is that some of us are still stuck in that kind of tense stage or we never did go past that and we just never felt we could. So we kind of gave up. And then God, what God wants is he wants us to keep practicing so that it just becomes natural. When we come in here, it's natural what we get to do together, and we're going to talk about what, that, what that's like in our lives. So get your message notes out if you haven't yet. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Hebrews 13. And so I want to read a verse from Psalm 29 first, which talks about the whole concept of worship. And uh, the Psalms, as Kim said earlier, she was directing us there, great tool to, you know, if you're working on your worship and expressing love to God, you're not sure how to do it, just let David do it for you. Let one of the psalmists do it for you. They do an amazing job. Psalm 29, let's read it out loud together, okay? Ready, go. Honor the Lord for his glory and strength. Honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And so what we see here is the whole idea of worship comes out of me responding to the glory of God. 
and in me giving him glory with my life, responding to who he is, and in giving him glory with my life. Now, worship is awesome, and yes, it is partly about us and what happens in us, but really, worship is all about God. So when you're here, this is not what you can, you know, we're not trying to please every one of us here today. We're just trying to say, how can we experience God and express to him our love so that he gets glory? So when we understand that if God is God and we want to submit our lives, so when we're here in worship, worship is declaring to God, you're in control. We submit to you. We surrender to you. And we want our lives to point people to you in a healthy way so that you get glory. But for some of us, we see worship in a different way. We see worship, we've got a list of checklists, you know, check things we check off to see how we're doing with God or how we're doing with, you know, those who love God. And so worship is just one of there's a box and worship is beside that. And so we come in on Sunday, check, and then we walk out of here and we're like, you know, duty done. And it didn't really bring God glory and it didn't really change my life as well. Here's the deal. It's not an obligation. Worship is an invitation. If you would see it this way, every week, God is inviting you to come be with him. Every week, he's inviting you to come be with him. Now, when I get an invitation to go to someone's house, I usually respond. I'll usually respond to that invitation and say, well, I'll be there, and you can count on me being there. What do I need to bring? How can I need to get prepared before I come? Or, you know what? There's something going on in my life, and I can't be there this week. But you know what? God's giving us an invitation every week to gather together. That invitation is extended. So you want to think about how are you responding to God's invitation when it comes to gathering together corporately? Now, first of all, let's talk about what worship is. In the Old Testament, the word worship means to attribute worth to. It means to attribute worth to. In other words, it's going to, I'm a communicating to God verbally his worth and his value. I'm placing him in high value by what I do. Also in the Old Testament, worship means to bow down. It means to come before and say, I'm going to submit to you, and I'm going to uh, surrender to you, and I'm going to, in awe and humility, I'm going to bow down before you. The New Testament, the word worship in the New Testament, it means give your life to. Give your life to. That's what kind of the whole idea in the New Testament, the word worship, is give your life to. A synonym, if you want a synonym, would be sacrifice. Be sacrifice. Actually, the word, there's a nuance to the word worship in the New Testament. It it means uh, to move toward to kiss. To move toward to kiss. That, you know, I'm moving toward God to have an intimate encounter with him. To move toward to kiss. Tim Keller, he's a pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City. Amazing writer, amazing pastor. And when he was talking about worship, he says that the word worship comes from the two old English words that were put together, but it's the word worth shape, worth shape. And what he said was, he says, our worship shapes us. So when we come to worship, whatever we worship shapes us. If we worship money, then the things that money can do will shape us. If we worship people, then the things that we're going to get from people, that kind of shapes us in life. But if we worship God, then that shapes us as well. And so worship actually shapes us and changes us. Now, a long time ago, we defined worship around here. We thought it was a really good definition, so you want to put this on your notes there. The definition of worship that we use, it is my passionate response, so I'm responding passionately to all that God is, means I need to know who God is so that I can respond to him with all that I am, my heart, soul, mind, body, 
and strength. All that I am, I'm responding to him passionately. I read this quote this week. It says, worship helps us find who we are and why God placed us on this earth. When we bow in God's presence with worship, only then are we made complete. So when I worship, it, it uh, instills within me and pulls out from me gratitude. That's why a lot of songs, worship songs, are songs of gratitude or thanksgiving for what God has done. When I worship, my problems and my difficulties and my struggles, uh, what happens is when, I, when I'm worshiping, the, those things that are really weighing on me or my, you know, the, the, the difficulties I have in life, they lose their power to suck the life out of me. No longer can they suck the life out of me because I put up a shield by my worship and my perspective of God. Worship has a way of changing me. It takes my eyes off of myself and puts my eyes on this, the one who is creator of all things. At the men's retreat this weekend uh, up at Lake Tahoe, and you know, it's just drop dead gorgeous up there right now. If you go up and uh, the leaves are starting to turn, not quite, but just Lake Tahoe was just beautiful this weekend, and it was just, you know, the perfect temperatures, and so I'm a nature guy, and so there was a lot of worshiping going on as I'm just thanking God for his creation and everything that he's making. Well, David Crothers, who used to be pastor here, was a speaker, and he made a comment uh, about something that he learned here uh, from our church. It's something we talk about a lot, and he referenced that in one of his talks, and here's the idea. The idea is, if I focus on my circumstances, I focus on the things that are going wrong, what's going to happen is those things are going to continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and God's going to get smaller and smaller. The way that I make my circumstances shrink is, shrink is not to solve them, but to take my eyes off of them and put my eyes on God, and God gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and as he gets bigger, guess what happens over here? They get smaller. And that's what worship does for us. So in our time today, what I want to do is I want to say, what happens when we gather corporately? Uh, and so here's some verses for you. The Bible's full of verses, encouraging, all in the plural, talking about the church, uh, beginning with Hebrews 10, 25. It says, let us, you might circle that, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. So right away in the New Testament, right, Jesus hasn't been in heaven very long. Right away, people are still already neglecting corporate worship. And he's acknowledged, I love how honest the Bible is. Just honest, right up front. There will be people that neglect this, but here's what the Bible says to do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his returning is drawing near. So we must meet together. Then the psalmist says, come everyone. Circle that, everyone. Clap your hands. Shout to God with joyful praise. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is the great King of all the earth. So God expects us to come together corporately. He's given this invitation, the way we do it is once a week, that we would come and that we would worship with him. Now, Hebrews 13, this is where we're going to camp out today. Hebrews 13. First time these verses uh, really spoke to me as that uh, when, when Kimberly and I started dating, and uh, we came, I think we started, yeah, we started dating in September, and then uh, at Christmas, she gave me a gift that she had made herself and framed uh, and uh, hand-stitched these verses uh, and so the very first time I ever really, these verses spoke to me, it came from her. And so it really helped, told me what she valued uh, in life. And this is what it says. It says, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. So we're just going to walk through that today and look at what do we do when we gather corporately. First of all, it said, let us, let us. So let's just camp out there for a minute 
and just understand why it's so important for us to gather corporately other than the fact that we've been invited by God to do it together. C.S. Lewis. How many of you heard C.S. Lewis? Lots of us. How many of you understand what C.S. Lewis writes? Okay. I'm in the, right? I knew I was at home here. Uh, but C.S. Lewis has a lot to say, and there are C.S. Lewis scholars who help us to know what it was he was actually saying. And so that we can read their writings. And, uh, but there's a quote he made that I think fits really well with why we would want, is this from the book called The Four Loves, why would, we, why would we want to gather together and why we need it? Here's what he says, and then I'm going to explain it. And, okay, so here's the deal. He had three friends. One was named Charles, and one was J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings. And, you know, we have The Hobbit coming out in December. I can't wait. You know, like, I'm so excited for that. Uh, and uh, and my, I told my daughter that she had to read it. She's already read it. Now she's reading all the Lord of the Rings, too. And so we're just all jazzed about that. Okay, that's J.R. Tolkien. But one of the R's was Ronald. And so just understand that as we go through here. And his other friend was Charles. In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friends can bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole person into activity. I need other lights than my own to show all of my friends' facets or all that they are. Now that my friend Charles is dead, I will never see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charlesian joke. Far from having more of Ronald, now that I have Ronald just to myself, I have less of Ronald. We possess each friend, not less, but more as the number of those with whom we know him increases. Increases. So what he's saying here, he's saying, when I lost friend A, I thought I would have more of friend B. That's what he's saying. Now it's just, you know, friend A is no longer around, so friend B and I, we'll hang out together all the time. But what I realized is, is that I lost a part of friend B that only friend A could bring out. And I lost that moment. Now here's the point for us. A couple ideas. We can know God more completely as we gather together with people than we can by ourselves, than we can alone. So people say, you know, Ron, I can worship on the golf course. I can worship. I don't know anyone can worship on the golf course. And so uh, <laughs> pray a lot, maybe. Uh, but so or I can worship in nature, but, you know, and all these things about being alone. But the, but the Bible would teach, and what C.S. Lewis was trying to say is, as I am together with others, and they're shining their light on God so that I can see how they're viewing God and how God is working in their life, I now know God better. But here's the other thing that's just wonderful about this whole idea, is not only do I know God better as we come together to worship, because other people are shining their light on God as they understand Him to be, as they're learning how He is, how He's helping them, how He's picking them up, as they're sharing His glory, but I learn more about the person. So now I'm with the person. So now I've got people all around me, and I know lots of your stories. In fact, you know, every Tuesday we get all the prayer requests from Sunday, and it's just a slew of them. And not only do I know them through the prayer requests, but I know you personally. And so when I see you come in, and we're singing songs like, Blessed be the name of the Lord, and we get to the part where it says, Give and take away, give and take away. And I know what God's given, and I know what He's taken away. And I see you sing that song with all your might and all your power, then I'm drawn closer to God in that moment. I understand God more. I see God in his mercy, in his grace, in his truthfulness, in his faithfulness, in ways I could never see him if I had missed out on seeing you worship God. 
I get to learn more about you, and I get to learn more about God as we come together. And God, there's, you know, there are times that I come in here and I'm flat, or I'm discouraged, or I'm needing some, uh, a boost, or I'm feeling afraid, uh, or, you know, I'm struggling in some area of my life. And just simply by being here and knowing that I'm in a group of people who are like-minded, and they're singing praises to God, and they're here feeling some of the same things, but we're doing it together, that encourages me, and that encourages all of us as we gather together. It's so important that we do that together. We will only know God as we corporately praise Him. We will only, completely, we will only know God completely as we corporately study His Word. We will only know God as we corporately pray together. We will only know God as we corporately serve together. So as we do all that, we get to see God completely in that way. And that's the reason we gather together. That's the value of corporate worship, is I know God in a way I never would have known if you hadn't shined your light on Him of what's going on in your life at that moment and how you understand Him. Okay, so now let's look at three things that happened to us. Uh, I did, well, okay, I guess I jumped ahead of myself. I need to add in this last part. Okay, about why it's important. There are many Americans who believe that I can love God and not go to church. That I can be a good Christian and not go to church. Many, many Americans believe this to be true today. And so I just want to say, well, what does a good Christian mean? Let's just find that. Now, are you saying that I have to be a Christian to go to church? I, mean, I have to go to church to be a Christian? Or I know. The Bible says it's through Jesus alone. But what the Bible does say that if I don't gather corporately, what happens is, if we want to define a good Christian there, if what happens corporately is if I'm not gathering together, then I will never grow to be the person he, makes me, he wants me to be because I'm short-circuiting the process he put in place. And so we need each other. To say that I can love God, but I don't need church, I'll just say it's just a, a theological word. Greek even. It's bunk. Okay? It's just bunk. It's just not true. We need him. Okay, so let's look at three things we do when we gather corporately. Uh, right from these verses from Hebrews 13. And what do we do when we worship? The first is we passionately sing songs of praise. If worship is our passionate response, then we're going to passionately do this. We passionately sing songs of praise to him. And the first, verse, first part of 15 goes on to say, let us offer through Jesus, so notice it's through Jesus, a continual sacrifice of praise to God. Praise to God. So worship to him. I'm going to sing songs to him. Sing songs. I'm going to give him a sacrifice. I'm going to sing my praise to him. Now, throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, we're encouraged that when we worship, one of our expressions of worship is to sing, is to sing. Now, some of you are right now, you're going, oh, I don't like this part. I don't like what he's getting ready to talk about. But here's what I'm going to help you out. For non-singers, let's just talk about non-singers for a moment. Non-singers. For a non-singer, it's always a sacrifice to sing. <laughs> okay, just know that. Yeah, I don't think it's ever going to get easier. If you're a non-singer, it's always a sacrifice to sing. If you're a non-singer and your spouse is next to you, it's always a sacrifice for them to hear you sing. <laughs> <laughs> just know that. That's the way it is. I'm a non-singer, okay? I'm a non-singer who sings. And so uh, my, I don't know, y'all can't do this, but the, what I do is I make sure to sit on the front row. 
and so no one can hear me. You know, so I just sing to the top of my lungs right in the front row, and no one can actually hear that I'm a non-singer. And so what I want to say to non-singers, because I'm a non-singer, I'm in your camp, I understand your pain, I understand all that, I, all that this means. Don't let your aversion to singing keep you from experiencing the power of singing. Don't let your aversion keep you from experiencing the power of what happens when you can just get lost in singing to him, lost in doing that. The great theologian Bono said this. <laughs> he said, words and music did for me what a solid, even rigorous religious argument could never do. The way into my spirit was a combination of words and music, both, in order to tap into my heart. So singing just has a way of bringing God front and center to our minds. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is he's saying singing is not an option for those who are followers of Christ. Singing is not an option. So I'm just going to, once again, I'm gonna, I want to help the non-singers for here just for a moment. Just kind of help the non-singers in our crowd because that's, that's me. There's about, or even some of you who don't really value singing and you may be a singer. You know, some of you um, don't sing here. Some of you plan the service so that you get here about the time the singing's over. <laughs> oh, you do that. Okay. <laughs> and while that flatters me that you would come for the message, I'm flattered, but you're missing out on what I think is one of the most uh, highly charged components, that the singing is preparation and part of what God's doing in us. And so if you're missing out, you're missing out on what God is doing during that moment in our service. So that's non-singers. That's this. Non-singers say this, I'm not musical, I don't sing in the shower, I don't hum, I don't even sing the national anthem. That's kind of a non-singers pledge right there. I don't even, I don't do any of those things. Uh, in fact, you know, you say, you know, I just tolerate music as it's done in the church. Well, I'm just going to ask for non-singers, I just want to address this for us because I want to help us all today. When your daughter or granddaughter or your niece turns four, and you're at her birthday party, do you sing happy birthday? If not, your heart is harder than you think. <laughs> <laughs> you at least do something. You at least get it out. And what are you doing at that moment? You're expressing love. You're expressing love. And so when I sing, what I'm doing at that moment is I'm expressing love to God. And so as much as we can get out, and I think with practice, you'll get better at this. That's why, you know, I talked about the whole practice idea. I've learned over time that singing can be done. And, uh, you know, Kim says sometimes I'm right there singing okay. <laughs> uh, okay, Colossians 3, what Paul says. He says, let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. So he's saying what happens is when we sing is that our hearts are expanded and we're able to see life in a new way. Next idea is this. We passionately, when we come together corporately, we passionately declare words of commitment. We passionately declare words of commitment. And the section of Hebrews 13, it says this. It says, proclaiming allegiance to his name. When we worship, we are proclaiming allegiance to his name. And when we sing songs, when we respond, when we listen, when we allow God to move, when we pray, what we're doing at that moment is we are declaring allegiance to God. We're making a commitment of our heart. It's a declaration of faith and commitment 
and surrender. When I say the declaration, of, when I say the, the um, flat Pledge of Allegiance, when I say the Pledge of Allegiance, I'm declaring my allegiance to the United States of America. And so when I'm here and I'm de- you know, de- giving my worship, I'm declaring my allegiance to God. When Kimberly and I got married, uh, we stood before a church, and as we stood before the church, we shared vows. And as we shared those vows, we said to, the, we declared, we put the line in the sand, declared that we were choosing to be husband and wife, that we believed that God had ordained marriage, that we believed, and we said this out loud and committed to it, that in our marriage, divorce was not an option, was never going to be an option, was never going to be a way out, that in our marriage, that we would only be together with one or another. Murder is an option, but not divorce. I'm just teasing. <laughs> but the divorce wasn't. We declared that we were going to be with one another until death alone parts us. We declared that we were going to care for each other no matter what, that we were going to walk through whatever it was that God brought into our way together, that we would know that we always had another one with us, and we made that declaration. On that day when we said, I do, we were declaring, giving our allegiance to each other, that we would give ourselves to marriage, and we would do all we could do to keep the you know, passion burning, keep the fires hot, that we would work through conflict, that we would try to be the, the best friends we could be, and we were declaring that. And what happens is when we come here and we sing to God, we're declaring his truth and that we're agreeing to that, our allegiance to him. God, this is who we believe you to be. This is how we believe that you're working in our lives. This is what we know to be truth as you've shown us. And God, we're declaring our allegiance to you, and we do that through our worship. We declare it to him as we get to do that together. And he takes that seriously. And then other people get to see that that's, your, that's who your allegiance is to, and it encourages them as well. Okay, third idea is this, and it really gets down, is the whole thing for us? Is this 75 minutes just for us and just for God? And the answer is no, according to Hebrews. So third, we passionately do acts of service. We passionately do acts of service. So here's the response. Here's our response to what happens today. Our response is that we would leave here after being encouraged and inspired, after being able to know God better by all the facets of life from our friends shining on it, after being able to know one another better about how we're responding to life circumstances and situations, that I wouldn't just leave here and say, huh, okay, I'll be back next week. Or we wouldn't leave here like and enter into evaluation mode. Oh, what about that song today? Can you believe they sang a song? Oh, my word. Can you believe? Oh, my word. Where, where did that ripping guitar from, come from? Or why don't this church, wasn't this church have more ripping guitars? <laughs> or my word. What about, we want a heavy metal church. And, or where did, where did those drums come from? You know, where did those get rid of them? You know, that kind of thing. Or did you see what that person was wearing? Did you hear that? Did you, oh, my word. And so we start into this evaluation mode and we leave here. And what God wants us to do is he didn't want us to evaluate what happened here. He wants us to evaluate what happened in our heart here. What happened in me while I was here? What happened in me? And I leave here. God, did I please you? Did my attitude please you? Did, God, did you work in my heart? And now, God, because of this encounter with you, God, help me to know how I can serve you in my world. As he says there, to do good and to share with those in need.
to share with those in need. Now, one of the really cool things is we're getting ready to enter into our 40 days uh, in the Word, the spiritual emphasis. And when, when we do the spiritual emphasis, we add a component on because we say this is not just about us. This is not just about our church. This is not about information. This is not about inspiration. This is about us going out and sharing him in his love with the world. And so we add an extend compassion component on. So as we get closer to this 40 days, and you realize that we're adding on to this campaign the response And the response is, oh, I get to love God. I get to love others. I get to serve them. I get to do this. I get to do, I get to help with Fall Family Festival so that we can have over 4,000, 4,500 people come and they can experience Halloween alternative. And then they would come back to our church at a certain point. I get to be part of the Thanksgiving food drive that we're going to do our best to restock the shelves and interface and the food bank as they're entering into their Thanksgiving rush that we get to do that together. We're going to do Operation Christmas Child so we can be part of what they're trying to do this year to set a record on the amount of boxes that go around the world so kids get a gift. That Inside that gift, it shows that Jesus loves them. We're actually going to get to give an offering. And that offering is going to express the love that we have for God and celebrate what he's doing in us during this season. We're going to get to you know, look at opportunities to serve our neighbors. And all that isn't because that we believe that either you or us doesn't have enough to do. Would anybody say you have enough to do? Yeah, I'm right in that camp. But it's so that we don't just have a spiritual emphasis that inflates us, but doesn't get spread to where God wants it to be spread. And so we're going to engage together. And then look at what it says. The, right at the end of that Hebrew section, it says this about the whole idea. It says these, these are the sacrifices, singing, declaring, and serving. These are the sacrifices that please God. So now what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment and we're going to experience singing together. And we're going to sing one of the, I think, uh, one of the greatest songs uh, current. It's uh, like a few years old now, but it's very current. We've done it here several times, so many of you will know it. It's going to be easy to engage at a certain point. Our team's going to come, and they're going to help us to do that. But before we do that, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Go ahead and stand up. And before we do it, I want to read to you some verses that will prime your pumps uh, from Revelation. And then we're going to, our team's going to lead us as we sing this together. Here's what it says in Revelation 4. It says, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased.
pray together. God, we are at your throne, and I can picture millions of angels gathered around you right now, singing praises to you, glory to you, God. God, there will be a day when all who are in Christ will be part of that choir, that heavenly choir. But God, we get to have a taste now. Now what it's like to give ourselves fully to you. Father, I thank you for the gift of corporate experience. Thank you for all my brothers and sisters who are here. What you're doing in our lives and our hearts, God. God, I thank you that you give us this outlet, this way to express the deepest feelings of our heart, God. I pray that you would inspire us, God, that we would want and desire more and more to be engaging with you, declaring your worth and your value, and showing others the church isn't just about 75 minutes. It's about our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.